You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you four messages Craig Massey presented at the Winona Lake Bible Conference in 1983. Craig Massey was a pastor, counselor, and former radio host on Adventures in Family Living. Now, here's Craig Massey on Today in the Word radio. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are caught in the stream of humanity that was polluted at its source. But we know, Lord, that when Christ came into our lives, we received a new creation, a new nature. And we're glad, Heavenly Father, that we understand the conflict that goes on within us. Now, when the problems come, Heavenly Father, may we not run away from them. Now, we know that you are more than willing to help us, but so often, Lord, we run to other sources. And what we're saying this morning is simply this. Lord, uh, if a problem and there will be problems. When they come to us, may we look to you to solve the problem, for with you all things are possible. May we rejoice in Christ and look at life as a challenge, knowing that we're only one heartbeat, one breath away from your presence. And Lord, we're glad for that. That's not all bad. Thank you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Gentlemen, are you ready? Are you ready, fellas? Get out your Bibles. Turn to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. A lot of people wish this book weren't in the Bible, believe it or not. That's right. This week I had a man tell me, I take anything that Solomon said as a grain of salt. That's a fearful thing to say, isn't it? Um, Louise has a little problem with Solomon. She said, with a thousand women around him, Craig? But you see, God uses all of us in spite of our stupidity and ignorance, doesn't he? None of us can boast. I'm glad that life doesn't consist of boasting of what we are. But let's get down to the subject. Fellas, let me share this with you. As a marriage counselor, and I mentioned that uh, I'm constantly involved with couples, and one of the things I do almost immediately is try to ascertain, find out, the wife's level of self-esteem. See? Now, why? Because I know that her level of self-esteem tells me lots of other things. Because I've discovered this. That a woman's view of herself, if she is married, or even dating on a regular basis, her self-esteem invariably depends exactly upon that which the man thinks of her. In other words, you as a man can make or break your wife. Now hear this carefully. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. You may have a wife that's alive physically, but she may be dead emotionally. She may be dead intellectually. There's many a woman, you ask her, well, um, your self-esteem intellectually, how do you feel about your thought processes? Oh. And and then she tells how badly she feels about the way she thinks. Why? Because her husband says, oh, you dummy, you dummy, you dummy. He's brainwashed her to think that she's dumb. And a woman will respond. Now that, now hear me, men, and and I'm not going to pull any punches. Gentlemen, if your wife is not perfectly content under the ministry of your husbandly responsibilities, you are spiritually decaying. 
because your spirituality, sir, depends precisely on your wife's joy with you, according to the word of God. Now, I know men don't like this, and I know it's not propagated very often because it is a fearful responsibility to place upon a man that he is, quote, the head of the wife. Now, you would think that that means superior, but no. To be head of any firm in this business, any company, or to be head of anything requires servitude. It requires supporting all those that are underneath you. Now, in marriage, sir, you are the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he was responsible, is responsible for the salvation of people and for the maintenance of spirituality. And so, sir, you are responsible for the salvation of your family. Now, I don't mean the spiritual salvation. That's not my premise right now. I'm talking about the contentment of your family. If you, if you like Adam, blame your wife, as Adam did, and say, oh, the woman you gave me made me eat the fruit. That is, as I said the other day, a cop-out, and God will not tolerate it, and God simply will not respond to your prayer life. First Peter 3.7, automatic. Now, yesterday, I asked you women to take a quiz and find out whether or not you are giving your husband those things that the girl in the Song of Solomon gave her husband. Now, gentlemen, are you giving your wife the things that she wants? Are you willing for a test? All right, now here we go. Song of Solomon, let's skip through it very quickly. Let's look first at all, of all at verses, uh, the first chapter and the second verse, and also 2-6. These two verses fit together. Now, sir, the question is this. Do you give your wife enough affection? Reader's Digest some years ago had an article that in an aging marriage, after the marriage takes place a few years, there should be an increased amount of affection. Well, I agree with that. Affection is that outreach that lets the wife know that by touch, by sight, there's all kinds of affection. Do you ever give your wife a look that can kill? If you do, it's sin. Why not give her a look that she can interpret as love? When's the last time you winked at your wife? Be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. How about, you see, affection is akin with romance, and women love romance. When's the last time, sir, you surprised your wife with, uh, maybe she's out, and when she came home, you had all the electric lights out and just had candles around the place. Your wife would say, good night, I'm in the wrong house. <laughs> no, fellas, God requires that you be affectionate. And then in that verse in 2.6, it tells us, the wife says, and she says this twice, his left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. How often do you hug your wife? And then it also says in the, the first chapter in the second verse, it tells about his kisses are better than wine. How, are your, how good a kisser are you, sir? Does your wife literally tremble when you have her in your arms? I mean, literally, are you that great big masculine, or a little short, it doesn't make any difference. Size and masculinity doesn't count, fellas. It's content, and it's not looks, it's attitude. So again, I say, are you affectionate enough with your wife? Well, how often, she'd always want me to be kissing her. That's right, why not? Louise never can get by me when we're at home without me doing something to her. 
you say, oh, you dirty old man. No, no way. She's my wife. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She can't get by. She brings me a cup of coffee. Something happens. That's right. Now, this girl goes on and says that, and you, you look at this verse um, uh, just down a little further, and you'll discover that, um, hear this, this woman says of her husband, your name is respected, and therefore do the virgins love you, the maidens love you. Uh, does your wife have that kind of moral concept of you that if you were among a group of wholesome single girls, that there would be a safety such, uh, of such value that you, as, as a man, would have your wife say, oh, honey, I'm so glad those pretty single girls love you, or it'd be a danger, a threat. Now, you see, this girl had such confidence in her man that even though the virgins, beautiful virgins, were around him, that his moral concepts were so solid that she had no fear at all. And I'm going to tell you something. In all my counseling, there's nothing more dreadful than to sit in a counseling chamber and have a woman discover that her man is involved with another woman. And 95%, maybe even more of that, of all my counseling uh, is involved with Christians. And there's nothing more startling than to find that that man is immoral. Do you have, does your wife have that kind of confidence that no way could anything happen? Interesting, all right? Now in the second chapter, in the third verse, we find this. That uh, this dear girl, now the two we have so far are, number one, affection. Do you give your wife enough affection? I dare you to ask her. Ask her, honey, do you get enough affection from me? Two, ask her, honey, do you think I'm a moral man? Do I ever threaten you by immorality? What kind of magazines do you read? What kind of uh, literature comes into your house? What kind of secrets do you have from her? All those are suspect, you see. Now, we look at this other angle, and this, and you have to understand, oh, this is so important, fellas. Any woman can use another word instead of love to her husband and bring to him the thrill of saying, I love you. We find in Ephesians 5 that God says to a woman, let the wife, let the wife reverence her own husband. And the word reverence is simply our word for respect. Now, this woman looked at her husband and said, he's greater than all the trees in the wood. He stands more solid. He is productive. He is the chief tree in all the woods. And so therefore respect. Does your wife respect you? Now hear me carefully. If you ever lie to her once, or if you even become evasive and don't tell her everything, you see some men wait till they're out socially to tell something that happens at the job and the wife on the way home says, well, honey, why didn't you tell me that? I didn't know, I didn't know that. And the husband, well, it's none of your business. I didn't think you'd be interested. You see, sir, that's sin. You are bone of your wife's bone, flesh of her flesh, and your mind of her mind. Therefore, you have the responsibility to relate to your wife absolutely all your masculinity, and you dare not give it to somebody else first. Period. Flat out, that's it. Now, you see this girl not only says, I respect my husband, but she said, I sit under his shadow with great delight. What, what's that mean? Well, it means that she was content in his presence, that she was protected protected from the boiling sun. This is the illustration from which this is drawn and from various other problems that would come weatherwise. But the wife is saying, my husband protects me. 
My husband doesn't make me afraid. Would you ask your wife, honey, do I ever make you afraid of me? Are you ever afraid of me? Ask your wife if she says, well, sometimes you do make me afraid. You get so angry, I'm afraid of your temper. And incidentally, temper in a man is about as stupid a thing as a man could possibly do. If you lose your temper, you're still a child. If you lose your temper, you don't deserve respect. And your wife cannot respect you unless you are under self-control. That is absolutely vital. Your wife is more than willing to let you make all kinds of mistakes, but if you continually do things for which she cannot respect you, she has a problem. And yet God, dear girl, says to you, respect him anyway. He may be funny, but respect him anyway. But this, this is, I, I love that. Then you see, we come right back full cycle to what we said on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, that this girl sitting under the tree, this is this symbol, she is eating the fruit of his labor. She said his food, his fruit was sweet to my taste. Do you feed in your husband? Now, sir, let me ask you, I better get in your side of the coin here. Sir, does your wife feed on you? Does she feed, does she feed in your intellect? Does she feed in your emotions? Does she feed in your physical affection? Does she feed from your spiritual life? You, you again, understand this, that you are to be the masculine food. Remember what we said yesterday? You are the masculine food. You keep your wife's femininity healthy by your supply of masculinity. Now, that's a challenging thing, gentlemen. But you better be aware of your responsibility. And you should pursue responsibility. You see, gentlemen, you should actually be looking for opportunities to fulfill your wife and to make her strong, and to build her self-esteem, and also, as we shall see, to build her achievement level. All right, we go a little further here, and we um, look at the subject of dating. This man, in the Song of Solomon, and the girl appreciated this so much, she said, he brought me into the banqueting house. When's the last time you took your wife out to dinner? Banqueting house, we can go to a restaurant, and if you're really broke, go to McDonald's, or, but do something with her, right? Girls, right, right, tell me now, I'm for you girls. Do it. Date her, call her up. Don't just, well, if you want to go, get a, no, don't do that. You call her up and, and, and imitate. I love the Song of Solomon, and you imitate it. So you, you, you memorize the Song of Solomon, men, and your wife, you'll suddenly see her wearing different kind of clothes. Her hair will be different. The expression on her face, she'll suddenly become a woman if you are obedient to the Word of God. And when the church is obedient to Christ, the church is flamboyant and outgoing and secure. When a man, when a man treats his wife as Christ does the church, this, this explosion of femininity is all there. And it's just a magnificently beautiful thing, and I just encourage you to see it. So the dating game, take her out to dinner. And then another occasion, the man says to the wife, rise up, my love. The time of singing of birds is at hand. We will lodge in the villages. You see, it's my concept that you as a man should get your wife out of the house at least once a month overnight. You say, oh, can't afford it. How many televisions do you have in the house? Sell one. Uh, what do you have to get? Why? Because you see, uh, a man works from sun to sun and a woman's work is what? <laughs> Boy, you all know that one. <laughs> and it was all women who answered. Wasn't scripture though, was it? <laughs> ah, but the point you see is that a woman walking around her house, her castle, 
always has something to do. There's always a window to wash. There's always a closet to clean. Always an uh, uh, oven to clean. Get her out of the house. Get her out of the house. Well, we've got five children. Well, shoot them. <laughs> if you ever blame your lack of attention to your wife on the children, you are a sick man. Children are blessings from God. Maybe your children do not know what affection is because your children do not see it between you and your wife. And that is a tragedy because you are the teacher of affection from a masculine point of view. And oh, I beg you men to understand that if your wife comes from an affectionate family and you come from a family that with, was withdrawn from affection, you better learn how to be affectionate. You better reach out for her because that's an established fact. That's the only way a girl can be satisfied. All right, we go on. And now we find security. This girl's security depended on her husband's relationship with her. She said, yes, he took me into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. We discussed that yesterday. But then twice this girl says this, this is my beloved. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Now that's security. Can your wife say that? You are my beloved and I am yours. We are together. You know, let me tell you fellows, the second most important thing we do in all our lifetime is our relationship with Jesus Christ, believe it or not. Now, some people would say God's work is more important in a marriage. According to the word of God, we find that the choice of a mate is the second most important choice you'll ever make. The first being the choice of Jesus Christ as savior. That's an option every person has. You don't have to. God encourages you to. If you don't, then you take the responsibility for your rejection of Christ. But the Lord God Almighty ordains that a husband-wife relationship be like the Christ-believer relationship. Therefore, the choice of a wife or a husband is the second most important choice you can make in your lifetime. Now, that is the initial fact. Then the upkeep of that relationship is very vital. And security, the security of love with no threat. It's just, uh, it's a source of contentment that cannot be underestimated. And, and I trust, gentlemen, that in your relationship with your wife, that under no circumstances will you ever violate this premise, that your wife deserves from you all that you are. That's why you were created in your masculinity. Now, somebody might say, but where do you put the Lord's work? Doesn't the Lord's work become, come before? Doesn't that come before the wife? Absolutely not. See, the, the order is this, Christ only. And no wife will ever object to her husband's relationship to Christ unless he interprets relationship with Christ with uh, the activities in the church that rob him from the home, but that's not necessary. See, that's work for Christ. In other words, it's Christ first. The person of Jesus Christ first. Then husband and wife, absolutely equal but different. Equal but different. Then the children. Because you see, if you do not have a happy wife, there's no use working for Christ anyway. Now, I didn't say that, dear friends. I did not say it. The Lord God Almighty said it. All right, so we have security there. Then we go on a little further. And... Um, we, 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 we look at uh, communication. And gentlemen, let me ask you this. Is your wife satisfied with your communication? This man in the Song of Solomon said something that to me, when it broke out in all its fullness, 
so excited me that I use it constantly. And it's this. He looked at her one day and he saw that she was sad, that her tone of voice wasn't the way it should have been. And this man was so sensitive to his wife's needs that he said, honey, uh, are you in the cleft of the rocks? Are you in the secret place of the stairs? Now, this girl wasn't out between a rock and a hard place somewhere. She wasn't up in the staircase hiding, looking through the railing, over the railing, no. But what was wrong here? There's a barrier between this man and this woman. So he said, honey, talk to me. Talk to me. Because when you talk to me and unload your problem, you're more beautiful and your voice is certainly more attractive. Sir, are you so sensitive to your wife's needs that you turn to her from time to time and say, honey, is something bothering you? Now, if she says, oh, no, and you know there is, it's because you have brainwashed her not, now hear me carefully, not to tell you. Some women are driven underground because their husbands do not know how to listen. And listening, of course, is a fine art. And he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame to him. So don't presume that you know and don't assume that you know how your wife is thinking or what she's uh, going to say. What you do is become a good listener. And you have to understand that the art of listening is perhaps one of the most evasive fine arts that evasive, neglected of all our fine arts. We know that communication is an art form. We know that listening is an art form. If you're an average group of people, one hour from the time we finish, you at best, the best one here, could only remember 10% of what I said. Yet there are trained listeners who could come in and two hours from now get 90% of what I said. Almost precisely. Why? Because they train themselves to be good listeners. Train themselves to be good listeners. Most men are not good listeners. I wrote an article or a short story one time based on a fact this man would come home from work and he'd say, now listen, I have to unwind, you keep the kids quiet, and I don't want to be disturbed. And he'd go in the living room as soon as he came in the door and read the paper. And his wife would stand in the kitchen doorway and talk to her husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just a, a rote thing. He wasn't really listening. The wife knew it. So one day she wrote a letter and said, I'm leaving you because you do not listen to me. And she made this, uh, wrote this whole letter that night when he came home. Uh, she read the letter, she stood in the doorway, she usually did, and said, uh, first statement was, uh, this actual case, I'm leaving you. Mm-hmm, yeah, he's behind the paper. And she said, I'll tell you where I'm going to be, I'm going to take the children and so forth. The next night when he came home, she wasn't there. Now I came in, and of course his order was, quiet in the rest of the house while I unwind. What's a woman supposed to do after talking baby talk all day to two little or three little children? It, doesn't the husband consider that she needs to wind down too? If there's any winding down to be done, do it together. Take the first half hour and explore all the activities of the day and the problems, then forget them. But this wife went all the way through and said, do you understand? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Next night he came home and no noise. After about 20 minutes, he discovered that, hey, there's no noise in the background. Got up and there was the letter on the table. She had read the letter precisely the evening before. And she told him where he was. And if he'd listen, uh, come and get her. That she wasn't leaving him, but she wanted him to listen. When they came in for counseling, it was a very sad situation. Because this man, defensive, saying over and over again, but she doesn't understand. When I come home, I'm talking to people all day long. When I come home, I want to be left alone. That is selfishness. That man was not taking his responsibility. 
And I'm telling you men, take the responsibility to be a good, good listener. All right, now we go on and the girl says uh, in 511, um, yeah, 511, 12, 14, and 15, we'll just go right down here. Many symbolic things here. First of all, she says, my uh, man's head is like fine gold. Did she mean that he had a golden colored head? No. It's the thought processes. I don't think there's any woman that I have ever met that doesn't love and enjoy a man's communication with her in the love essence. It's interesting that prior to the wedding, prior to the wedding, young couples spend as much time together and talking. As soon as the wedding comes, something dies. Well, what can you talk about after uh, you've been together for five years? Well, what can you talk about? You're thinking all the time and you think in words. See, Louise and I are working now on a book in communication. We don't know whether they're going to publish it or not because the, uh, the book, the book uh, stores are filled with stuff on marriage. It doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot of good as far as the overall emphasis is concerned. But we have, uh, in my counseling for the last 38 years, I've come up with a lot of material on how to communicate and the response to communication. But what can I say? You see, your wife needs masculinity. And if you don't give it to her, then she will get it from somewhere else. And it's interesting that the soap operas are so popular. We were out in the area in California, and one of the people from one of the television stations said that they had put all their soap operas on late in the afternoon in that area because they found the teenage girls were their best audience. Why? Because there's a basic cry in the feminine nature for masculinity to be talked to, to listen and to have the partnership of this fellowship. But you see, if you starve your wife, then she'll have some fantasy image. She will choose a fantasy image. She'll lie down at night and instantly a man will come into her dreams that will listen and just hold her. You say, oh, come on, you're talking nonsense. Am I? I'm a counselor. I delve into these things. I wouldn't say these things unless they were true. But God knows that the woman needs a man with golden brains. And that's what God says here in the form of this girl said that her husband's head was like fine gold. And then she goes on and says that his eyes are like doves. And isn't it interesting that the wife in this case said, uh, my husband's eyes are like doves. And the husband said, my wife's eyes are like doves. You see, dear friends, we are on the brink. You know there's negotiation all over the world. Nicaragua, El Salvador, El Salvador, and, and East Germany. Korea now is moving again. We have divided nations. We have a divided China. And, and we're only 15 minutes away from a catastrophe. Now, where can we go for security? Into the world, this rat race that's called the world. Why can't we make our Christian homes a refuge where when we walk in that door there's no scolding the children there's nothing but absolutely ideal unity well it's not practical you can't do it why are you going to deny the lord god almighty the privilege of working in your family are you going to deny sir the privilege of god working in your life to show your wife that you indeed are christ-like you see the emblem of masculinity for us men is the Lord Jesus Christ, tender and sensitive to the needs of people. And you know the fruit of the Spirit, as we heard the other night. Patience, gentleness, and servitude. If it doesn't start with your wife, sir, don't try to pull it off in a church or a Sunday school class or with some youth group. If your wife 
is not the recipient of all you are in your masculinity. Don't you think you can con God into pulling the wool over his eyes and have a ministry outside of your home? Your spirituality is directly related to what goes on behind the closed doors in your house. And you have the greatest opportunity to be heirs together of the grace of God behind the closed doors of your home any place else in the world because you have more opportunity to forgive your wife. I said yesterday that when Louise makes a mistake, it's not sarcasm. But it's pure delight. I like her to make mistakes. You say, why? Well, first of all, I've learned to be patient with a mistake that Louise makes. But not only that, it gives me an opportunity, as I said, and I want to emphasize it. Because what would you do with a perfect wife, fellas? You want a perfect wife? You want a centerfold in Playboy? Oh, yes, many Christians do. Oh, look at her. She, she's had five children. Look at her. She doesn't take care of herself. Sir, the reason a woman loses her self-respect and self-esteem and achievement is because of your attitude towards her. So don't, don't, don't blame the, don't put the blame on her. Please don't. Christ doesn't blame us. He says, all you have to do is respond to me. I'll forgive you. You have the greatest opportunity to forgive right in your own home with your children. Are they afraid of you? Oh, I wish you could go in. Then it goes, talks about um, the man's hands being of gold. You see, your hands are the instruments of love. To reach out your fingers and to touch your wife's cheek, to grab a handful of hair, to put your arms around her. Hands are vital love instruments. Do you use them correctly? Then it talks about his legs being pillars. This is masculinity, pillars of ivory. Can you picture this man and all his masculinity and this girl seeing symbolically the strength of this man's integrity, his morality, his character, his honesty? I said that Jesus Christ is the emblem of masculinity. And he said, I am the way and you are your wife's way in this life. She is a responder to you. Give her something worthwhile to respond to. Second, I am the way, the truth. And if there's one thing a woman wants, I polled 2,000, it's on one of the tapes back there, but I polled 2,000 women and said, what attribute in a man do you most want? And believe it or not, the thing that won the most was honesty. A woman wants an honest man. She doesn't want a secretive man, a, a, a man who's evasive. Are you honest with your wife? Now, the stability of this masculinity was likened in this, as this wife talked uh, to his legs being pillars. Yes, pillars. Are you that solid? Can your wife lean on you? And I encourage you again to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ reaches the church by the washing of his words. And it follows through there. Husbands do the same thing. And let me say something, sir. If you do not have self-respect, if you do not love yourself, you cannot love your wife. Because you are to love your wife as you love your own body. That's the physical attribute of this relationship. The spiritual, the intellectual, and the emotional is followed up almost instantly when the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, writes to the man that you are to love your wife as you love yourself, your identification. Who are you, sir? Who are you? Who are you to your wife? Who are you to the work world? Who are you to other Christians? Who are you to your children? Who are you to your friends? Who are you to your enemies? Who are you to your wife? Are you the stable leader, masculine leader that you ought to be? It's not dominance. It's not dominance. Not at all. What it is, is tender, sensitive care. And the stability of a strong man to a feminine woman is an incredible thing to see. Then, moving right along, we find that this girl burst out on one occasion. This is my beloved and this is my friend. 
quite often in my counseling, I discover a couple that did not have a decent engagement relationship. So I take that. Sometimes I've been married. I think of one couple recently married 17 years. I said, I want you to go back and be engaged again. Park in the car someplace, talk. Start with new interests because they did have a good engagement for a very brief time. It wasn't long enough. But as soon as the wedding came, a child came very shortly after that, they got uh, overwhelmed with responsibility. Now, you have to start, as I've already stated, and I'll repeat it, you have to start with friendship. Are you a friend to your wife? Is she your best friend? Is she a companion? Uh, and dear girl, do you respond? I had a, um, a man come in, uh, a woman come in actually first, and then the man came in. And during the engagement period, even illegitimately, he had gone up to Canada every year fishing, and she would go with him for the two years that they were dating and engaged. Now, it was illegitimate, wasn't right. But she gave him the idea that she loved the outdoors and loved to be with him. They were married early in the year. And that summer, the man proposed another fishing trip to Canada. The wife said, well, you go. I don't want to go. I don't like fishing. Now, she changed her whole approach. Well, what happened? A couple months after the fishing trip, she was rummaging through some things, and she discovered that there were some bills that he had paid for two people instead of one, and discovered that this man, even though they'd only been married for about six months, had gone fishing in Canada with his secretary. And this husband said, I can't believe the change in my wife at the wedding. She just simply changed everything, and she said, well, I was more interested in getting you then. Now, that's not fair, girls, but sir, make it interesting for your wife. Don't always make her do your things. Then we go on, I think this is absolutely exquisite. In the Song of Solomon, the eighth chapter, in the seventh verse, it makes this statement. Uh, hear this very carefully, that if a man would give all the substance of his hands, all the work of his hands for love, it would utterly be condemned. Now, there's many other translations of this. One has it, if a man would give all his household belongings. Another has it, if a man would give all his wealth. But here's the point in this. What is love? Love cannot be purchased. You cannot buy it, sir. Do you want the love of a woman? Do you really want the love of a woman? You have to have it if you're normal. You say, oh, don't say that. I choose to be single. I choose to reject women you have a problem because I'm only looking at God's orders. Now that doesn't mean that you all marry or anything like that. That's not the point. And incidentally, just a week or so ago, I had a dear girl came into my study and this girl said that she is a Christian girl, wanted a Christian man. She said, where do you find him? And I said to her very casually, knowing the problems of single women with finding good men to marry, I said, you know, your husband may, be, been, may have been killed in Vietnam. She was at that age. And this girl broke down in tears. She had never thought of it, but prior to the Vietnam War, she went with a boy who went over to Vietnam and never came back. Now, there's many a woman's man lying in some grave in Korea or Vietnam or wherever those bodies are. And it is sad, but don't forget, single people, that doesn't mean you're inferior. And it also means, dear woman, that your femininity can be given to men in a legitimate way, a beautiful, beautiful, marvelous way. Make sure that you're aware of this. All right, so your wife has to know that you're the most valuable thing on earth. Somebody just recently said to Louise across the dinner table, do you have the kind of confidence that Craig talks about other women having? 
And Louise said, I know I am important. And it was a thrill to me to have Louise with that much confidence. Why? Because I, I have a problem. I have a problem if Louise disappears out of my life. She knows it. I'm willing to tell her. I'm, I can tell her with tears. I can tell her with laughter. I can tell her in a thousand different ways. Because you see, a woman needs appreciation. And you get an all-woman woman when you appreciate her. That's true. Now, sir, the test. Have you passed it? But you have to make some adjustments. I had one girl tell me this morning, you know what I did last night? I fixed my hair the way my husband wanted me to. That's effective preaching, Tim. Or whoever you are. <laughs> Is that you, Tim? <laughs> I guess most of you know I have an eye problem. They worry about me up here because of the clock. Am I almost done, Tim? Wonder, keep on going, keep on I will. Now listen. One more thing. Your wife must have your time, your communication, and a joint purpose in life. Louise and I have chosen so gloriously because it never gets out of date. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Boy, what a mutual agreement for a couple to have. What's yours? Oh, to see the kids raise the house paid off and get the cemetery plot ready. <laughs> no way. Look, live in the now. The past is dead. Forgive. Show the grace of God in your marriage and get excited about love. A little romance. Go park under... Tim, we're good parking places around here. <laughs> Tim knows all about these places. Check in with him. Find a parking place tonight after the service. Let the moon rise and give her a kiss and hold her hand and say, dearest adorable, I love you most horrible. <laughs> or some other remarkable poetry that you've made up. That's the best I can do. <laughs> but it's effective, dear friends. Love is life. God is love. He gave you enough love as a man. You're to love your enemies. Even if your wife is an enemy, you better love her. You're to love your neighbors, and your wife is your closest, closest neighbor. And she is one of the brethren, so you love the brethren. Can't miss, can you? You're done. You're cooked, fellas. Change your lives. Get excited about loving that girl. Love her. Love her, love her. Now, tomorrow, we're going to be speaking about why marriages break up because we invade each other's territory. We all have territorial rights, feminine territorial rights, masculine territorial rights. Tomorrow we'll learn how to get off each other's case. Tim, I'm finished. You're on. <laughs> wow. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message Craig Massey presented at Winona Lake Bible Conference in 1983. Craig Massey was a pastor, counselor, and former radio host on Adventures in Family Living. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. A reminder that Founders Week 2021 runs Tuesday through Friday this week at Moody Bible Institute, and we're excited to present live coverage of the evening general sessions Tuesday through Friday nights this week from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time, 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll hear from David Platt. Rodney Maiden, Priscilla Shirer, and close our Founders Week this Friday evening with a message from MBI President Dr. Mark Job. So be sure to join us for Founders Week 2021 by tuning in to your local Moody radio station or going to foundersweek.com. That's foundersweek.com.
Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.